Go to www.flamencofestivalsf.com or call 510-531-5889. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFA in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno. And online at kpfa.org is 3 o'clock. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadows out of the sun. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and I have a very, very special guest with me today. And no, this isn't Flashpoints. I've got my own survivor here. <laughs> this is this is not. I hope this is not going to be a show all about politics. Uh, this is a show about Cornelius Washington who is out of New Orleans and has come to us now and I think is going to be part of our artistic community. He's a photojournalist, and uh, as he said himself on Larry Bansky's show a week or two ago, he's a double Aquarius. Is that right? Uh, triple Aquarius. <laughs> triple! He's a triple Aquarius. I asked my friends who are up on these things, you see, and they said that that means he's a freedom fighter and that he's not someone who is held down by the ordinary... Um, the ordinary things in life, the relationships, and you know, you're an air angel, they told me. You're an androgynous air angel. I think that's kind of a heavy, <laughs> heavy load, Cornelius. Uh, I want him, first of all, to tell his story. Uh, I mean, I've read all the stuff in the newspapers, but it's not the same. There have been some pretty good um, personal stories, profiles, check your New Yorker, good stories, but uh, I kind of think you had to be there, Cornelius. Yeah, and I was there. I mean, it wasn't anything I would have chosen for myself, but yes, I was there. First, I want to say thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. We're lucky to have you here. And I hope that you will be part of our uh, community here. Yes, we're all about art and ideology at this station, Cornelius. You're going to stay in Oakland? You're going to be with us for a while? Yes, I don't plan, you know, to relocate back to New Orleans. I may go back to pick up some things, you know, clothes and uh, film and my negatives and prints and things, but I don't think I'll go back to New Orleans permanently. Cornelius is a photojournalist. The minute I got here, I got a photo op, I tell you. (laughs) What is that? It's an esteem bath, I call that. That's clever. I'm going to have to remember that. Well, you looked great. You look great today. You're wearing a beautiful outfit, beautiful hair. It's my purple day. Beautiful jewelry. You look very chic. I've decided to go, uh, uh, my my hair, I just decided to go jet black. It looks like a hat. But never mind. We'll talk about that at Christmas, Cornelius. Uh, Now, where were you when the hell and high water hit? 
What part of the hell? What part of the high water? Yeah, you weren't in the they ninth. They went on for a while. You weren't on in the ninth ward. I hope to God. No, I, I actually I live in the French Quarter. I lived in the French Quarter. Of course, of course. Where else would you live? Uh, what was it, Bill? Um, Bill Maher the other night he said, "Couldn't we move New Orleans to Kansas?" He said, "God, they could use some. They could use the jazz." <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh well, uh, I, I I don't know. Tell us. Tell us exactly. Give us the old timeline. Where were you uh, when you heard about this, and what okay. did you decide to do? It's interesting. Um, I'm of two minds on the subject. There's like half of me that wants to try to block it out, and the other half is like documented. So I do have a, a bit of a timeline. Um, the morning after the hurricane, I went out and I took some photos, and uh, I have some beautiful images of it, and. Then, you know, by that time, the electricity was gone. And I think I made it through one night. And then the next day after that, I started seeing the waters, you know, ebb and flow and Mm -hmm. nothing was certain. And so that night, being a triple Aquarius, I heard a voice and the voice told me to pack up my birth certificate and my diplomas and uh, my ID and my cameras and lenses and film and batteries. And then I put it all in the duffel bag. And uh, that morning, a friend of mine named Lionel Hillard, he also is a, a photojournalist, brilliant. He uh, tapped on my door. He lives like a block from me. He checked up on me to see if I was okay. And uh, I did the same with him. How are you? And then he asked me, I remember, you know, if I live to be a thousand, he asked, what do you want to do? And I told him, I'm like, the voice is telling me to go. And he said, let's go together. So he packed up a few more things and I packed up a few more things. And then we started to slog it out, uh, packed, you know, our bags and had them in an old rickety Winn-Dixie shopping cart. And we slogged it out over to the convention center on the advice of the police. And that's when the nightmare began, the looting, the death. The muggings, the hunger, the elderly dying, it all started and uh, did a night there. It was hell, the, you know, the looting. And uh, then the morning after that, we decided we couldn't stay a minute longer. We had already seen uh, people starting to wrap the elderly dead in white sheets and put them behind the convention center. And then we... Us went to the Superdome. The water had already started rising, and we didn't want to get wet. We already figured it was going to be toxic. And what we had done was we made a left turn about four blocks before the dome because we saw trucks going to the left. And we waited there, and as the waters were rising, we decided we were going to have to seek higher ground. So we abandoned our clothes and walked up a bridge, the bridge that leads to the Mississippi River Bridge. And uh, I, with uh, Lionel, encountered the media, and we were then interviewed by the Fox Network National Station and the Washington Post, because we had to carry our cameras and things around our necks. And so uh, after that... The reporters were there. The reporters were there. Fox, Fox was there. I remember My Fox God, was there and the Washington the, Post was the there. The reporters were there. Yes. Oh, what the hell? You know, so where's the cavalry? Well, you know, all night that night, the night before, 
we had been seeing the buses coming and going. We had seen the police coming and going. And as I said in the last interview, no one stopped to give us any information. No one stopped to give us any kind of reassurance of anything. And uh, it was a hellish night. And so we quickly came to the conclusion that we were going to have to do the best we could for ourselves. And that's why we moved that morning. I didn't want to do another night at the convention center. I mean, the mass looting had begun. You know, people with 12 pairs of tennis shoes and not knowing that it really was going to be a story about survival. It wasn't going to be a story about looting and pillaging. Mm -hmm. It was about water and food and medicine. It was not about tennis shoes, DVDs, and digital camcorders. And it's unfortunate that people their values were misplaced and you want me to continue yeah i was gonna say it's it's confusing for those of us i mean who cares about the damn tennis shoes you know but the some of the stories i heard were that um the what do we call them the thugs the criminal element you know were basically some of the only people who helped these elders who had no water and no food and no you know that they they uh, tried to protect some of them they absolutely did um that was it was a story about opportunity. I mean, the day before I had even decided to leave, the Winn-Dixie had been mugged, the nearby Winn-Dixie. And then the Winn-Dixie had decided to just open its doors and let people come in and get groceries. So people were coming in just to buy food. Uh, it was an amazing thing. There was a bar named Starlight by the Park that was right next door to where I lived. And it's a gay bar. And they were housing people that had lost their homes through flooding. And so I had told the the owners of the bar that the Winn-Dixie was giving away food. And so I and one of the bartenders went over to the Winn-Dixie and got peanut butter and yams Mm -hmm. and barbecue things for them to cook and things like that. The the bars and some of the stores seem to be the only places that really were shelters. Yes, they absolutely were. They absolutely were. They absolutely were. I, I saw people sleeping on top of the bar, on top of the pool table, in corners. You know, they had lost everything. Yeah, the groups that, um, well, the New Yorker did uh, several pieces on the, the um, folks that stayed in the bars. They seemed uh, maybe foolish, you know, all that toxic um, uh, sludge just to get a beer, some people. But, you know, still, they seemed like the human element, the only one. Now, I, I just, I still, you know, the convention center, I think we're going to be reading about that. Till hell freezes over. I, oh, I don't yes. know, but you know what? What? Who? who you know, who's in charge here? Apparently, they lock themselves away. They hucker down the so-called officials or authority. You know what? Wasn't anybody in charge? Where was the Red Cross? Where were the the um, what do you call it? First responders. There were um, some elderly that were getting sick, and there was one ambulance that whole night, that whole first night. That took away some of the elderly people. But as far as the police and the National Guard and things like that, we were definitely under the impression that they were going to go to the Superdome first since it had the masses of people. And that's what had been recommended that people seek if seek shelter there. So we were patient for that one night in as much as. Okay, they're probably going to the Superdome to evacuate them and then they'll come and get us. But by the morning, I, you know, people were looting and buying and selling 15 feet from me mm-hmm. from the night before the afternoon before. I remember mm-hmm. when the looting started, it was still daylight. 
And there is this huge mall, the Riverwalk Mall, that's right next to the convention center. And so the, the mm-hmm. looting had already been going on, and I didn't want to be a part of that. I mean, because... Get yourself shot. Yeah, <laughs> or, or worse. Yeah, right. You know? And so, mm-hmm. uh, long story short is, we wound up having to go to the Superdome. And then we spent the hellish night there. Couldn't sit, couldn't lie down. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Yeah, there's stories about, you know, no toilets, no, you know, oh, oh unbelievably nothing grim. Nothing prepared me for that kind of squalor. Yeah, nothing. no, that, that, that's what I think scares me so badly. I, I, the nightmares I had, I think, had to do more with that. The whole notion of, you know, not, oh well. Uh, I think, um, the, the story I heard, what was it last night? Uh, the the one that tops everything. It was in Houston. The um, uh, the other dome. What's the name of the other dome? The, the Astro Dome, dome of uh-huh. course. The second table as you enter is now uh, uh, recruiters, uh, army recruiters, military men. I'm not there. surprised. I'm not and surprised. I, I, God, I called some people I know in Texas. They said, "Yes, that's true." My God in heaven. Uh, you know the what would you call it? Um, the psychic shock. Of knowing that there's no help coming, uh, you know, we, well, uh, no sense wringing of the hands. Uh, now, the Starlight Gay Bar is another bar. I, I'm making Starlight a list. Starlight by the Park. It's a what, dear? It's The name of the bar is called Starlight by the Park. It's right across the street from Louis Armstrong Park. Starlight by the Park. Yes. You know, there are so many... Uh, so many places. I was thinking, listening to Bill Maher last night, talking about moving at least the French Quarter into Kansas. You know, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, I suspect Kansas is doing the same thing that the French Quarter is doing. It's, it's right. just that they're doing it indoors. Uh, well, of course, yeah, you in know. The French but Quarter, you can do it in the street. They could do some jet. Yeah. Well, you know, New Orleans is. It's what is it? It's our European heritage. It's our oldest city. Yes, it is. It's everything that. Um, what is it that we shouldn't? that we should want to hang on to at the same time, you know, uh, everything we read now is about the veil having been ripped off and now everybody knows, you know, that there are poor people in America. I'll be damned. Yeah, isn't that something? <laughs> isn't well, that something? you know, Louisiana and Alabama and Mississippi is where you have your your indigents, where you have your illiterates it's where you have you know the poorest people in america and mississippi goddamn yeah <laughs> and don't you miss her oh, and so yes. um my whole deal of that is that that's always been known now it's being made manifest visually mm-hmm. on the media mm-hmm. and what i want to say about the media you know is anybody watching it the visuals are true now what you're hearing as far as the text goes can be you know, interesting in as much as it may or may not be the truth. But the visuals, I saw the dead bodies, I saw the dead babies, I saw the robbing, the looting, I saw it in 3D. I mean, it's, it's, it was like Armageddon and Exodus simultaneously. You know, I've seen the human condition, Jennifer, I've seen it. It is here. I have so many friends, especially people my age, and they say, well, you know, if this goes on, well, Things might get to, and, you know, I look at them and say, you know, uh, <laughs> what do you want, you know? If fascism is just capitalism plus murder, we are there, you know. We have arrived, and, you know, this is going to go on. We just have to decide now what 
position we're going to take, whether or not, you know, we're going to get under the bed and, and uh, hide or what we're going to do. Well, my opinion about that is that that's not really a concern for me because holistically as a triple Aquarius, I really do believe that the water from that hurricane is going to clean up everything. It's going to expose everything rightly and wrongly of every group, the poor, the rich, every nationality, every race, every creed, every religion, because I've been talking to people and people are very interested in in my experience and I don't have time or inclination to lie. I really, really don't. And so when they, when I give them their answers about their questions, they're very surprised, my opinions on, you know, the National Guard. I have nothing against the National Guard. No. Those people no. did the best they could. They were under orders. And I saw the National Guard feigning. I saw the National Guard throwing mm-hmm. up, you know, just like everybody else. I saw the police passing out, just like everybody else. Um, no one was prepared for this. No one. And the people that were prepared were screaming for resources and help. And no one responded. And, and the few that did respond did not respond in a timely manner. Um, a lot of people are going to have a lot to answer for in this life and in the next. It's so interesting. Uh, what What is it, this human condition? You know, this deja vu all over again. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, of course, um, you know, for those of us who are anxious to blame the Bush administration for everything. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> it's a waste of time, no, no, boys not. and girls. Not, you yeah, know. It's a waste of time. <laughs> no. I, I'm never quite sure. I was thinking last night about the right of return, about the people who want to go back and the people who want to leave and start a new life. Uh, I, I hear all these things now about there will be no help, no money, you know, to rebuild. Uh, and of I course, don't believe that. I'm sure there's plenty of money. Uh, Well, the thing is, though, you know, in the argument, of course, well, Iraq took the money and, you know, all this. uh, Oh, I I call it the crowd. It's always uh, my atrocity is more atrocious than your atrocity, you know, and we go on arguing over um, who should be first in line. I'm not quite clear. Um, I think, as you say, if there's just some kind of some kind of clarification, some kind of group consciousness uh, maybe something, <laughs> I always think of it as something like the 60s, you know, when everybody kind of gets it simultaneously. You know? yes. It's this collective awakening. Well, you know? what's going to happen with that, my opinion of that is that someone will be able to verbally, with conviction, articulate the mass emotion, and that person will lead. It won't necessarily be anyone that's a politician. It will probably be someone from the clergy. It will probably be someone from grassroots. It will probably be someone who is probably in the arts, a writer, a photographer, a actor, actress, spokesperson, you know. And that person will be able to be the the symbol. And then through the symbol, people will act. Yes, a Martin King. That's exactly I'm very happy you said his name because I was definitely thinking it. You channeled it right out of my head. You've got to have our Gandhi. We've got to have somebody who's, uh, what is it, outside of the purview. I mean, electoral politics, you know, it's worth a few minutes of your time and, you know, get Hillary, blah, blah. But the truth is, um, it's more of a spiritual um, cohesiveness. I keep thinking that in our country, maybe 
Maybe our day is done. Maybe the uh, rebirthing will come from uh, other lands, that America is not the place. But, you know, we live here, and this is our task. And I was thinking this morning, you know, if this, what is it, the, the new pope, they call him God's Rottweiler, you know, has announced that's that the... Sad. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's sad. It's interesting how people can come up with these interesting derogatory catchphrases mm-hmm. to describe people. Mm-hmm. The Pope, I'm myself, I'm Southern Baptist. But the wonderful thing about living in New Orleans is that you can go to any church you want. There's not all the dogma. And I used to go to St. Jude, which yeah. was four blocks away from me. Do you want me to give my opinion about the Pope? Oh, of course, of course. Tell us what this guy's all about and why Why is he doing this to the gay community, which is the, your community. Yeah, I think yes, the Catholic Archdiocese is trying to play catch-up. I think exactly like the military, they're trying to recruit their legions of low and people and gay people. I'm going to say gay people too, uh, no longer have to hide behind the clergy to be gay or to sublimate their, you know, homosexuality into the priesthood. And so their ranks are dwindling and the younger generations, they have seen over and over again the hypocrisy. The scandal with the Pope, the scandals with the uh, politicians, the scandals with the televangelists. Young people are seeing this and they are not stupid. And so therefore, the Pope being quote unquote God's Rottweiler, he can spout and try to manipulate old dogma as much as he wants. Women are going to serve in the church on a major basis. This will come soon. Gays will get married. This will come soon. Everything is going to change. That is why there is such a reinforcement of old values, even though in the face of this dreadful hypocrisy, God's Rottweiler. That's that's really right. bad. The reaction, yeah, the re- reaction is uh, always the backlash is even tougher when when you're on the verge of something new. But uh, what would we call that? Uh, I mean, he logical he, progression. Yeah, <laughs> he's a German. And it does feel like, I mean, you know, we'll all be wearing um, triangles again to to uh, behave the way, you know, the fascists did before World War II to outlaw homosexuality, to cast them out of the church. Just seems completely idiotic and, and retrograde. I mean, he can't get away with it. I was reading a piece about him the other day. Uh, and one of his close intimates said that he would uh, he would destroy the Vatican before he would ordain women or, you know, that he was absolutely opposed to any uh, feminine, it, it's so difficult. Well, the uh, thing about that is it's really not about him. No. It's really, really not about, about him. Of course. It's really about God and the people. He is a conduit at best, mm-hmm. not a Rottweiler. <laughs> yes. And my feeling about that is he can have as much dogma or opinion or mission as he wants. It, this, What's going on in America and the rest of the world is much bigger than him. It's much bigger than religion. It's much bigger than thought. These negative mindsets and preconcepts, they all have to go. And because of things like Hurricane Katrina, because of the floods that happened uh, overseas, because of what's happening with the Catholic Archdiocese, the, the you know sex scandals, everything is going to be exposed for what it really, truly is. Is from your mouth to God's ear, and it's always going there. <laughs> anyway, the Pope is yeah, there. the Pope is seventy eight. Uh, what is it? The, the great T. S. Eliot. He said the world is turned by dying men. You know, and they haven't the energy to uh, to turn anything these days. Um, I keep thinking that they will just kind of 
fall away, but as you say, there has to be this new voice. Uh, I hear hundreds of thousands of voices. You know, there's Mother Teresa's everywhere. There are actually... Mother Teresa had Don't her problems. Don't you? I miss her. I miss her. I miss Mother Teresa. Well, she was putting the work in. Yeah. They, what do you call that? Uh, walk the walk. Um, she walked it. She yeah. walked it. And that's what exposes everybody and everything. You know, and I'm not surprised that the Pope didn't attend her funeral. <laughs> that's interesting. He didn't it? attend it. And I was not at all surprised because she showed yeah. him up for what he really truly was. Well, the institutions, the, the power institutions of the world, they're so... It's so odd, as you say. They they almost reflect. Um, what is it? They. It's it's like watching television. Somebody the other day they said, to, you know, if it's on TV, take my word for it. It's over. <laughs> you know, it's already over. That's no, not true. Gonna, it's not true. No, it's not true. I know. It's an aftertaste. TV taste is an aftertaste. But I know what they mean. You know, the stuff that we're looking for, the stuff that we're waiting for, is kind of in the wings. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I just, what is it? I find it true that we live in the most interesting times. I, I believe that's true. And yeah. I'm very hopeful. It is. There's nothing else. What do we, my favorite cliche here on the air is, they uh, call it uh, pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. Most of my friends insist on, they refuse to know. I said, no, 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 you can't do that. You you got to know as much as you can, and there's always more to know, more to figure out. We get, you know, let us seek truth from facts. That's oh, we, true. Yeah, we get it, it, information, but I, that's not what we need. Yes, if to know were to do, uh, somebody, never mind, never mind. I was going to uh, spend five minutes today talking about... Um, this new show, Rome, and how it echoes, <laughs> how it echoes these terrible times in which we live and does it with such wild pagan humor, folks. Yes, there's no place like Rome. I'll save that for next week. But, you know, God, uh, imagine watching something in which, um, the, uh, what is it, uh, the Caesars of this world can actually think and plan, uh, that's what that's what playwrights do. They give meaning to what seems to me to be what is the most incoherent mess. Well, as you you know, as we were discussing in the pre-interview, uh, that artists are the antenna of the human race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they show you Caesar, you know, bribing the religious leaders and all that. Now we know that uh, probably uh, the more I look at him. I sometimes think that our president believes what he says. I think all of these people have hypnotized themselves, you know. They're simply uh, limited. Uh, you know, what is it, the lovely woman, Hannah Arendt, she said, evil is not uh, this malevolent demonic. It's, it's simply, um, what is it, uh, it's a banal, it's, it's ignorance, it's a lack of capacity. These are underdeveloped minds and hearts. These are one-idea men, and they're stuck. You know, they're just, uh, what do you call it, uh, they're broken records or something. Well, they're about to get the shades ripped off of them because reality, as you've all been looking at the TV to oh, see, yeah. Oh, yeah. it is very, very real. It's in 3D and it's the truth, the visuals. The visuals. The and visuals. Yeah, I was talking the other day about what they call post-literate sensibility. I'm just a recovering English teacher. And years ago... My mother was an English teacher. You know, when you were on Larry's show, I heard you <laughs> talking about your, your mother. And Now, is it you who quote Roger Kipling or is it your mother? You said your mother was... <laughs> I quoted Roger Kipling. Quoted. I would constantly quote it to her because I, for some strange reason, people do have a tendency of, of quoting the truth. 
and saying the truth they with do. negative intent, and it's yes. bad. It's I, bad. I, yeah, I have. Well, this was about Barbara Bush and uh, her Marie Antoinette uh, nonsense. I heard you know. about that. Yeah, uh, she is such. A, well, that God bless woman, her. God I, bless her. I called her a tank with eyes when she first hit the scene. I remember with Geraldine Ferraro. You remember? She said she's a rhymes with witch. I don't know. These these Republican women, uh, they are such. Uh, what is it? We had a group in our community here called uh, Ladies Against Women, and uh. we did these fabulous parodies of of the Republican women. But God knows they are also people who are where, you know, they have been trained to be. And I I know that their loneliness is real. They're probably. Pretty miserable, too, but I won't get into that. Barbara Bush will, uh, what is it, uh, she will discover what it's all about before she dies. Otherwise, she'll have to come back and be born again, poor lady. Never mind. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Cornelius, what you plan to do here in the Bay Area. Uh, you're a photojournalist. Yes, and I also was a fashion photographer. I had a national column you're, in a magazine. Well, know, okay. Where I worked with the legends in fashion. Well, know. the Berkeley Daily Planet is always looking for stuff. Well, I know well, the editor there, Becky O'Malley. She writes wonderful editorials. Great. If anyone wants to help me or donate or or curious about me, they can get in touch with me at Cornelius Washington at Mac.com, or they can call. My number is 510-219-0670. I'm going to repeat that. You can call Cornelius in the 5 and 9 area code, uh, code local. His number is 219-0670. Here, Cornelius, here's the, the new issue of the... The fashion issue of the New Yorker. Oh, I love nice. It. <laughs> All right. No, listen. This is Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air Thursday morning at eight twenty. And I think I will be talking about the Bob Dylan. Yes, I'll be talking about the Bob Dylan uh, documentary. Martin, Scors- Martin Scorsese. Right? Yes, he's done a really good job of delivering four hours of the nineteen sixties. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.